everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Guys, we're taking the For the Love podcast on the road. Yes, all the incredible guests and interesting topics that you love on the For the Love podcast will now be part of a live podcast event in a city near you. Woo! And of course, I will be your host and interviewer for the evening. We're going to have different, absolutely top-notch guests in every city. And we'll be taking questions from the audience as well. You do not want to miss this super fun event, which includes my interview with a tip-top author or artist or celebrity that you know and love, guaranteed. And a special message from yours truly to wrap up the night. So to find out about tickets or find out about our VIP ticket experience, fancy, just go to jenhatmaker.com and click the speaking button at the top of the page. And it will take you to all the dates and the guests so you can purchase your tickets for you, for your friends, for everyone that you love. Be sure to visit jenhatmaker.com to get your tickets to the live podcast tour sponsored by BetterHelp. Get them today. See you there. Hey guys, Jen Hatmaker is here. Your happy host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. You're going to love today. <laughs> I always tell you that, but I'm so serious this time. Um, we're in a series right now called For the Love of Podcasts, and we are talking to some really phenomenal people in this lane who have incredible shows, really interesting, intriguing content. They're great hosts, and I have absolutely loved having them on. I mean, I actually wish, wish this um, series was twice as long. My guest today, oh man, this conversation was so good, you guys. I took, I took an entire page of notes. She's carrying the torch for cultivating really healthy habits around a topic that affects every single one of us so deeply. It affects our well-being. It affects our marriages. It affects our children. Um, it affects our futures. It affects our careers, um, our gratitude, all of it. And the topic is money. And she is doing it in the warmest, most approachable way you'll see. You'll see as this conversation unfolds. So today I am so happy to have on Rachel Cruz. Um, Rachel is a self-admitted spender at heart and a lover of pizza. So same, same. Uh, she's also the number one New York Times bestselling author and host of the Rachel Cruz Show podcast and web series. Uh, I know a ton of you already watch it, so you know exactly who Rachel is. Um, watch and listen. She teaches people really from all walks of life. Everything she says today is so simple and manageable and approachable. How to get out of debt, how to make a budget. Um, and, uh, you might be interested to know she's had a lifetime of training in how to handle money because her day, her dad is Dave Ramsey. <laughs> she knows some stuff. All right. So you're going to hear from Rachel about what it was like to grow up with him, 
and what she learned from her dad over the years, but how this is really kind of her own work and how she has made it her own. There's so many great things today that I want you to hear. Um, so how, whatever you, however you come to this conversation, if you are, if money is absolutely crippling for you, if it is a source of like fear and shame, which it is for so many of us, first of all, you are not alone. Um, if you feel like you are so far in the hole that you will just, there's no light at all. I want you to, I want you to listen today because there is so much hope in this conversation that Rachel and I have today. Um, if you're thinking about how do I raise my kids um, to not go into $100,000 of college loan debt, which she and I also talk about, how do we start them out on the right foot instead of just, you know, 10 paces behind? Um, this is your episode. And, um, if mar if, if money is a real tension point in your marriage, which Rachel absolutely normalizes, I, I loved what she had to say about this. Um, this is your episode. And then I want you to also know, because I think money is a weird, um, topic, especially sometimes in the Christian world. What I'm walking away from this conversation with the most is how much this handling our money. Well, what, Rachel talks about is how much it unleashes generosity in our lives and contentment and humility. So if you're thinking this is like a banking class, or this is just how to get rich, or this is how to like hoard all your money, it's kind of the opposite approach. This is what kind of sets us free to be generous, to be givers, to be humble, to love what we have, to not keep clamoring for more and more and more. Like I've I found a ton of freedom in our conversation today. Um, really, no matter where you come at it, I think you're going to discover the same thing. So, I mean, I am really, really pleased to share my conversation today with the delightful host of the Rachel Cruz show, the one and only Rachel Cruz. I am not just happy, but now doubly happy um, to welcome Rachel to the show. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Yes, absolutely. Jen, thanks for having me. I so appreciate it. Well, I'm definitely happy because like five seconds ago, I just found out that this podcast recording is Rachel's very last thing on her like to do list before she leaves for maternity leave today. Right? Did That's I have that right? right. Oh, you're <laughs> like, I told you, I was like, this is the exclamation point <laughs> before I go home and have a baby. <laughs> when are you due? Uh, I still have another week and five days, but who's oh counting, gosh. right? You but are. Yeah, I'm taking mm -hmm. some time. I know. Well, my second came a week early, so I was like looking at my calendar when I found out I was expecting, and I was like, man, I'd hate to be in the office like the day before. I know some people, you know, they have to do that with their schedule, yeah. but I was like, man, if I could have like a solid week totally. before, five days before the baby comes, if you know, if he comes a week early, kind of thing. So I've timed it out, so I get I have a little wiggle room. But this is so exciting. And how old are your bigs? Yes. So Amelia's four, uh -huh. Caroline is two, and then we got a little boy coming. So he will okay. be here, be here this soon. Is so exciting. That's exactly how I had my babies. I had a four-year-old and I had a two-year-old and then I had my third. And um, you I'm glad I made it. I mean, here five. I am. <laughs> I have at least half my brain working and they're in college and high school. So you can do this. So, okay. I have filled in my listeners about who you are and what you do a little bit, but if you'll indulge me, I would kind of, I'd love to roll your story a little bit back to your beginnings because in some ways 
it feels like you've been preparing to do this work your entire life. Um, <laughs> so you are a self-admitted spender at heart, and your dad is Dave Ramsey. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot in one <laughs> sentence. Um, can you talk about what that was like growing up and uh, kind of how that in general led you up to sort of the start of your career here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know people always, you know, when they find out I'm Dave Ramsey's daughter, they're just intrigued. And it's like, they assume that we were like this money obsessed family. And, you know, yeah. every question around the dinner table was centered around money. And we had mutual fund birthday parties and sure. like, <laughs> budget camps every summer, like, you budget know, camps. yeah, they just expect this, like, you know, money household cause Dave Ramsey. And honestly, I mean, I give such credit to mom and dad because even though this, you know, was a big part of our family story, they did not make it by any means like the identity of our family. Like if anything, yep. they almost just downplayed it. They taught yep. us how money worked, uh, which I was so thankful for and learned that gift later on after leaving my house and yep. being an adult, realizing not everyone grew up in that kind of environment. So they were very intentional with teaching us how money works, but it was definitely far from a legalistic, obsessive mm. household when it comes to this part of our lives of money. Totally. But, uh, but I was born actually the year they filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. So I was born in April and then they filed in September. So my whole life really was kind of having this front row seat of watching my parents mm. figure out how does money work. And after, you know, dad kind of pulling together common sense and biblical principles and started, you mm -hmm. know, small things at our local church. And then it grew into a book thing. And then there was a rate, um, a radio station here in Nashville that was actually in bankruptcy. And so he went on yeah. for free for a few hours and then that grew. Hmm. So just the whole organic part of Ramsey Solutions, you know, I was, you know, side by side. In. I mean, I, that yeah, was it's like a sister. Life. It was like a twin. Totally right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I always laugh. My, my, my older sister and I were the first shipping departments because I remember yes. stuffing envelopes with books and stuff in our living totally. room. And that's how you know, things got mailed out. And so, yeah, that was, that was a big part of, um, again, our upbringing and understanding yeah. all of that. But I started traveling and speaking with my dad when I was 15. Wow. And so we would go to these, you know, he'd put on these huge live events with this, you, yep. know, you know, nine to 12,000 people in these arenas. And in high school, that was kind of my part-time gig as I would get mm. up before one of the breaks and talk about, kids and money and how parents can teach their kids about money. And here's what Dave mm -hmm. Ramsey and Sharon Ramsey did with us and pitch the kids products. And, and then I got a cut from whatever sold on the back. Yeah. So I'd run off the stage, run back to my little table, sell during the breaks. And yeah, it was a great gig. I loved it. And I, and in that process, I learned that I loved speaking. I loved public speaking. Uh, and yep. um, from there, yeah, I went to college and that's kind of my light bulb moment. I always tell people yeah. is when I was a freshman at the university of Tennessee is when I realized that, wow, people have no idea. Like my peers at that mm -hmm. time, they had no idea how money works. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm 18, 19 years old and I don't have all the answers, but I have mm -hmm. enough knowledge to like help them if they wanted mm -hmm. the help to kind of start guiding them, uh, in these conversations that we were having with money. So uh, yeah, again, fast forward again, four more years after college graduation, yep. I kind of paired the idea of loving to speak and then really mm. my heart for my generation and this message. And it was kind of like God just kept opening these doors mm. down this path that I probably wouldn't be been able to verbalize back then. Yeah. But when I look back, 
I'm like, that's exactly what's happening. And then fast forward, I've been doing it for 10 years and yeah. here I am with you, Jen Hambaker, with a baby yeah. in my lungs that I'm that's, <laughs> like, breath right now as I'm talking. Totally. I'm like, I, <laughs> I love hearing you sort of roll it out like that. Um, I think that's so interesting. What did you originally go to college to study? Like, what, what did you think your path was going to be? I, my, my original dream, I wanted to live in New York city mm-hmm. and still to this day, every time I'm there, I feel like same. the Holy Spirit's like, Rachel, you're supposed to Absolute be here. Same. And I'm like, I know I am, but I have a husband who likes to turkey hunt. So like, I don't oh know. My how gosh. Absolute same. <laughs> we are twins in this. Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to live in New York and work for, um, I mean, back in the day, like a, like a magazine, you know, one of those, they like be a marketing advertise, you know, doing something in marketing or advertising for a magazine company yeah. in New York. Uh, so yeah, so I went in doing that and then I switched to communications, mm-hmm. my major in college, uh, halfway through. Cause I realized, eh, I probably won't do the New York thing, Yeah, but I loved again, my heart for my message that I had always been there, you know, kind of bubbled up and I realized, yeah. man, this is really, this is really what I could do. You obviously made the right choice. Um, yes. You have a fantastic show called The Rachel Cruz Show. And I love the fun and warm way that you approach folks about money. Because money is, it, it rattles people's cages. It's mm-hmm. it, it's anxiety producing. It has a lot of shame around it. Um, for a lot of people, like you mentioned, who've just never been taught, it feels inaccessible and overwhelming and intimidating. Um, and so something that so many of us need when we are entering this conversation about how money works is that we need to know that in it, we're not going to feel judged or shamed, um, yep. but that the, we have a seat at this table and you do this really, really well. This is, I think, your very special gift. Um, why for you was it important to create your own podcast? Like what specifically, cause you have several lanes that you operate in. Um, what were, when, when did you decide to podcast? Um, and what's kind of your, your key distinctive aim, like in that venue? Yeah. So the podcast itself honestly was kind of an offshoot of doing video content. Um, I kind of got challenged a few years ago of like, okay, what's like the thing I can put content out really quickly um, for people, you know, to help start helping them, starting to get my own voice and figure out my message and all of that. And so video has always been um, my comfort zone almost. Like I so enjoy video. I love doing TV media hits, like anything with a camera, I just feel the most natural in front of. And honestly, audio is where I'm the most intimidated. So any kind mm. of like podcast or radio show or anything in that lane, I always kind of stayed away from because I just yeah. didn't feel like I was great at it because, mm. you know, it, there's a certain skill set there that you you have to have. I just saw I'm like, man, there is just a whole other audience out there to be reached with podcasting. I mean, mm-hmm. podcasting has, and you know this, but I'm like, it has its own lane, its yep. own way of doing things. And people are so loyal to podcasts. And Great I love point. podcasts. Personally, I love listening to them. So we actually just pulled the audio from the Rachel Cruz show, the video version yep. and made it into a podcast, but the podcasts I will do, you know, I, I kind of re-record some things and I yeah. even just interrupt myself from the show, which is kind oh, of yeah. always- but I'm always like, okay, no, let's dive in deeper here. Cause podcasts, you can, yeah. you can like go on much deeper levels. Uh, and, and it's so intimate, right? Like you're with people in their car while they're 
doing dishes. I mean, it's just like you're with people in their lives when you're doing a podcast. Absolutely. So money is one of our biggest stressors. And it so is because there's just so much emotion wrapped around it almost all times. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Why, in your experience, why do we make such emotional decisions about money? And what does that have to do with contentment or lack thereof? It's mm, a great question. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's emotional because money touches every part of our lives. And what ends up happening is money is a symptom usually of a bigger problem. And so when people come, especially to Ramsey Solutions, and they've either read a book or listened to the radio or gone through a class, they'll say things like, our marriage is better. And you're like, you didn't go to a marriage class, mm-hmm. you went to a money class. But why? Because the money problems are really a symptom of a marriage problem, of lack of communication, or you fill in the blank. Um, same with parenting, right? Like I'm like, we're living in 2019 and the accessibility to just buy your kids stuff and feeling like you somewhat can justify it and it feels better as a parent because maybe you're working two jobs or you know fill in the blank. I can just throw some money at it. I can buy them something and that makes me feel good in that moment. But then you have a parenting problem, right? So like it just ends up becoming this the symptom of of greater problems in our life. And and so it is emotional. And I think it's emotional too. And you touched on this because people don't, they really don't have a common sense view of money. And so when you look at the stats and the studies of personal finance in America today, like it's it's pretty sad. We're in a really sad reality of the amount of debt, the lack of savings, lack of security people have when it comes to this part of our lives. So people have made, including myself, major mistakes with money. I mean, everyone has, no one's excluded from that, but yet we allow for some reason the shame of our past to really stop us from changing our habits and doing something different in the future because money in a sense has this weird security that even though you've been doing something with your money for so long and you know, it's probably not the smartest thing, but you're like, you know what? The change just, it's just too scary. It's too scary to change and change is uncomfortable. And I think we can get to a point in our lives. Again, this could be for any area. You could plug this in. It's hard, right? Like it's not fun. And so when you have to do a complete mind shift on something as extreme as money, because you handle it every single day, it's really, really hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing great. No one would have debt. Everyone's you know, formal case would be funded, like all of that. But it it's so hard because personal finance, it's 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. And so understanding it is a really small part because again, it's pretty much just common sense. Like most of what I teach, you hear it and you do not leave a podcast or, you know, finish one of my books being like, whoa, I have no idea. I got to Google like half the words she said in that book. No, you probably finish and you're like, man, I knew that. But doing it, changing the behavior is what is so difficult. And that's emotional in and of itself and like any any behavior in our lives. But money uh, is just a part of that. So question, when's the last time you slowed down to check in with your mental health? Maybe you've been feeling stuck and think, I really should go talk to someone, but finding the right person, it seems so daunting and your schedule is so busy. The time does not materialize on your calendar, but you know what? Help can now come to you thanks to BetterHelp Counseling. So BetterHelp 
can connect you to a licensed therapist or counselor online so you can get help whenever and wherever you need it. You can talk to your counselor via phone, text, chat, video, however it's convenient for you. And your sessions are, of course, absolutely private and secure. And if you don't connect with your counselor, you can easily switch to a new one at no charge at all. I am a huge advocate for counseling and BetterHelp is a really convenient, affordable way to find the help you need today. This is a brave choice. And they're giving my listeners 10% off their first month with the code for the love. So just go to betterhelp.com slash for the love, and then use the code for the love and get started right now. Okay, everybody back to the show. You have said time and again that um, budgets, contrary to how it may feel, they don't limit your freedom. They give you freedom. Um, Can you talk more about that and sort of unpack that a little bit more for us? Yes. So budgeting, in my own personal story, this was the hardest part for me financially to like make a part of my life (laughs) because... Mm -hmm. I'm a spender. I'm kind of Mm -hmm. a free spirit. Mm -hmm. Details are not great. Like if you like looked in my car or my bathroom sink or my closet, you'd probably be like, who is this woman? And why is she not organized? Like, I'm just like, I'm just not a very super organized person. Yeah. And so a budget was like everything against my natural being, right? This idea of like, I have to keep up with a receipt, like back in the day, you know, I have a checkbook that I have to like actually write down. Totally. Check for like, it just was, it didn't seem fun. And the, the con, the concept of a budget, every time it was presented, almost felt this, it had this negative factor to it. Like, Mm. oh yeah, well we, I can't go shopping because I'm on a budget or Mm, night we're on a budget or we're, yeah, we're not going on vacation this year because we are on a tight budget. And I'm like, man, people on budgets are not fun people. (laughs) Yes. On a budget, like you're not having any fun. And so I had this experience where, um, my husband and I, we've been married almost 10 years and the first few months we just, we didn't do a budget and growing Mm -hmm. up as Dave Ramsey's kid, I promise in my head, it was like, you do a budget, you do a budget, you do a budget, but doing it again was so hard. And so we, we, we finally, after a few months, we got into the habit and we did it. And then I had this experience on a vacation with Winston before kids, we were probably married maybe four years at the time mm-hmm. uh, where he told me on vacation, he was like, okay, babe, we have our money set. Like we know what we're going to spend, but uh-huh. I don't want you to have to think about it. Like, don't worry about the budget. Uh-huh. I'm going to take care of it all. You just relax and enjoy. And I was like, oh, speak in my love language. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> and, and then like, just even that night, like at dinner, I'm sitting there being like, I can't enjoy dinner. Cause I'm trying to figure out, okay, if I, <sighs> order a drink and an uh-huh. appetizer meal. Like, is it, am I going to be spending too much here? Are we going to have to buy granola mm. bars at Walgreens for breakfast? Cause uh-huh. I'm spending too much. I mean, I just started this like semi internal panic with my yeah. money of like, I don't know what, I don't know where it's going. And I mm. realized at that point, I was like, man, I've spent probably four years really grasping and having control over where my money was going. And the one, well, the one time I thought I would quote unquote have freedom where I wouldn't have to have control I realized in that moment, I can't enjoy my things because I have no idea where my money's going. And so I'm like, I've been brainwashed into this nerd now where I realized, 
a budget, just like you said, it, it does not limit your freedom. A budget gives you freedom, gives you permission to spend money on the things you value. And it's very difficult to win with money if you are not intentional. Like if you are not purposeful, even with every single dollar, it's going to be very, very difficult to win. And so a budget is that a budget. It really does. It gives you this control and you get to say yes to things. You get to say no to things. But when you say yes to things, you can say it with such freedom. Like if you have a clothing line item in your budget, you can go shopping, go to J crew, go wherever. And you can spend that amount of money and you don't have any second guessing, any doubt, any shame at the register because you know, this is what I can spend. This is what I've planned. And it's just so much more enjoyable. And so not to mention just the purchasing aspect of it, but long-term, never again, will you look back when you're doing your taxes in April and be like, where did all of our money totally. go? Absolutely. So hard, but where did it all go? You can look back and be like, no, we were, we knew exactly yeah where every dollar was going. So it just, it does, it gives you that control. And I'm saying that again, as a free spirit and a spender, mm. I have been, a, I've been converted to the budget and, and I love it. I really do. Cause I can spend and I have permission to spend now. Um, it's so funny that you say that a few years ago, my family did this experiment. It was called seven and it was an experimental mutiny against excess. And we took seven areas of our lives where we felt like everything was excessive, out of control, and unchecked, unregulated, mm. um, uh, just completely unintentional, um, and wrangled it into some sort of format. Um, so like, for example, we did food. So for a month, we only ate the seven same foods. We did clothes oh, wow. where we only wore the same seven pieces of clothes for a month. Well, one of our months was spending. And it was interesting to do the uh, the groundwork on it because I had this sense that we were spending kind of willy nilly. Like I was absolutely that person. Where did the money go? I, I don't really know. Yes. I'm not sure, but it's gone. Um, and so before we even started that month, I had to kind of sit down and go, well, where's our money going? And so I, uh, <clears throat> I averaged tw the previous 12 months of our bank statements, which by the way, I never looked at never <laughs> yes, and so. found out that on average, we were spending money every month in 66 different places. That does not even count wow. repeat expenditures. So we were mindlessly swiping in 66 different places a month. And I couldn't have told you where half of it was or where it went. Yeah. And so there is something so real about just looking your stuff in the eye and going, what am I doing? Where is it going? Is there any intention around this at all? And frankly, it may be emotionally challenging to put in budgets and guardrails and intentional plans, but it's actually not that hard functionally. It is possible. Anybody can do this. This is not just yep. for the finance majors or the people who even intuitively understand money. It This is possible, um, but it does require that really deliberate look at what is going on and where am I spending and how do I want this to be different? I know in your work, I am sure that you at this point have recognized patterns of um, money snafus or mistakes, um, pitfalls that many of us are making. Um, I wonder, I don't know if you can quantify it this simply, but if you just, what would, what are, what are three money mistakes that we can get back on track, um, maybe fairly easily with just a little bit of attention to it? Mm. Um, I think 
one would be what we just talked about. I think a money mistake, I, I'd say that is probably the budgeting. number one money mistake. Yeah. Is that people just, they're not intentional. They have no mm-hmm. clue what's happening. So doing that budget, we have a app called every dollar and it walks you through, like you were saying, it does not take a finance manager to yeah. do it. I mean, it's, it really is fifth grade math. And I say that uh-huh. in a non-shaming way, yeah. I'm saying that non-intimidating way, like you really can do it. It takes about three months to get it to work because, you know, you may not know where everything's going and you have to change stuff. But, um, but man, if I could rewind the tape for so many people in their stories, mm. when it comes to their money, if they had just been purposeful, they would be in a completely different spot. So I think that's one thing for sure. Um, I'd say the second is something that we fall into just more as a culture and it's kind of the heart aspect of money, but it's just this lie that just seeps in for people on different levels and probably different intensities, but just that money is going to make everything better. Hmm. Like if I just had money, if I could just make more money, if I just had that thing, if I could just buy that new car, if we could just have that house, like everything Hmm. would be better. Totally. And it's such, it is such a deceitful lie because if you're like me, I've fallen for that. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. whether it's a coat from Ann Taylor that I'm like, oh, that's so cute. If I just had that this winter, I'd be happy. Right. Something as small as that to as big as where I go to college or whatever it is. And you get that thing, like it. It, you end up being a rat in a wheel for the rest That's of your right. life yep. and it never ever fulfills. And yet that is something that I still to this day fall into. And I'm mm. like, I have to remind myself, I'm like, man, Rachel, why did you think that? And it is, it's so hard. And again, we live, you know, if you're listening in America in 2019, I'm like, Oh, we're such a mm. materialistic culture and I'm not against stuff. So I always mm-hmm. tell people it's okay to have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. Mm-hmm. And it has you when you go into debt for it. Yeah. And it's clear the borrower is slave to the lender. Like when your stuff owns you at that point, you don't own yeah. it. And then it has you, if your identity, your happiness, like what you think life is about is wrapped up because you mm. will be disappointed yep. over and over again. It's and so real. Yeah. And social media doesn't help with it. And yeah. reality TV doesn't help. Like we're not in a really winning situation. So mm. you have to fight against it. But that's a big mistake I see people make. And then the other one, um, which kind of sounds cliche, but it's really, really not is giving like mm. people. They, I find that for giving, they do not have, they don't feel like they have the capacity or the financial yes. ability to give. And I always challenge that though, Jen, cause I'm like, man, you know, are you paying Comcast, mm. but you're not giving like mm. your priorities with your money. When you start to have this mindset, your mind shift mm-hmm. into, Money is, it has been given to me, I believe as a believer to steward it for God. And one of the top things that he shows us constantly through scripture, I mean, Jesus is the perfect picture of this, of serving people really well to serve people financially, even if it's a little, like give a little until you can give a lot. But when you start living with that open hands mentality and financially, it changes stuff, Jen, like your mind, but you see people the way your, your quality of life, your joy, I mean, things just change Hmm. when you're a giver and it is, it is so, so huge. And it's something I feel like we miss out on a lot because either people don't think about it or if they, they have the heart to give, they just don't feel like they have the means, but I would challenge that and say, Hey, what can, what can you cut? Even if it's a little, even if it's Starbucks run, like whatever it is to be doing something because you start to value people more than stuff and money at that point. It, it does. It just changes your whole perspective on life. I could not agree with you more. Um, when we finally looked money in the face and decided to deal 
instead of just always letting the tail wag the dog with a big shrug mm. of the shoulder, what it unlocked in our lives, um, in our hearts and minds, wasn't just a better handle on our personal finances. What it mainly unlocked was uh, generosity, which was a surprising Mm -hmm. byproduct. And, um, and it was amazing. Like that, that for me was the key takeaway. Um, because at that point, the sum is greater than the parts. Like you are just so right that, um, being generous, um, with what we have is, um, it's powerful. It's, Mm. it's powerful in our lives. It's powerful in our faith. And then of course it's powerful in our communities. I mean, there's a very real, um, impact, you know, that generosity has on the people, our neighbors and our cities and our communities. And so I'm really glad that you said that one, um, because that's not typically what people think of when they think of personal finance. Um, and yet to me, this is a key motivator, um, in getting a hold of what we've been given so that we can really live faithfully in this way. Thanks for saying that. One of the biggest topics you mentioned in a second ago, that you tackle is helping people get out of debt, which is just, oh man, ugh. it's so crippling. It is so crippling and it hamstrings so many of us and it feels impossible, like a mountain we will never climb. Um, I think about students. I've got two kids in college right now and three more to go. And so I'm, we're watching student debt just mount yes. and mount and any more. Well, not any, it doesn't seem like students are carrying more debt than ever in history <laughs> and for much longer periods of time. Um, and so I would love for you to talk a little bit about debt and how it affects us and our students. If you want to kind of funnel into their future, because this is, we are telling them this is the only way this is, this is the platter that they are being handed right now that there is no other path. Um, and then how, what is our path out here? Like, I I know this is a huge topic. I mean, this alone is 700 episodes, but (laughs) if you could just sort of high level a debt conversation for us and our students, what would you say? Yeah, totally. So with debt, it's, there's a mathematical side and then there's an emotional spiritual side. And on the mathematic side, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, what debt really does is it steals your paycheck from you. Mm -hmm. So like you make an income, it comes in and then it takes from you. It takes your car payment, your student loan payment, your credit card bill, and it's all things in the past. So it's like you're living life in your rearview mirror, right? Everything's just being to the past because every industry, financial industry is kind of against this topic. They are all because they're all for debt. They're against you getting out of debt because that's how banks make, that's how credit card companies make money. And so to live a life where you say, okay, what if you had no payments? Like what if your paycheck came in and we'll just, we'll, we'll keep a mortgage for the heck of it. Say you have your mortgage because it's the one type of debt I won't yell at you for. So like you have your mortgage payment, but that's it. Like you have no other payments. Mm-hmm. what what could you do? Like, where right. could you go? Who could you help? What could you do? We've been bought into this lie that, that we have to have the standard of living in America. And if you don't look like X, Y, and Z, right. you're missing out. And here's the avenue to debt to get there. And we just blindly walk down this road thinking that it's going to make everything better. And it doesn't because it steals our future. Yeah. It steals our decision-making. It steals our choices and our options. Because when you have debt, you can't leave the job you hate with a jerky boss. Like you sit in traffic, you deal with this terrible person at work in this terrible environment, but you do it because you have to pay the bills. And if you didn't have those payments coming in, 
what options would you have? And so there's like that financial side. And then there's the emotional and spiritual side that Mm. my friend Chris Hogan says, debt's a thief. It steals your income, but it also steals your sleep at night. Yeah, it does. It steals your peace of mind. And when you owe someone something, it changes the way you do life. Mm. And getting people that freedom to say, you don't owe anyone anything. Mm. And you are able to truly live life the way that you feel called to, you feel like God's calling to, you know, fill in the blank, but you actually have the option to do it. And Mm. sadly, we've strapped ourselves with stupid car payments and credit card bills. And I'm like, man, we are, we're like in a crusade mentality to help people get out of that though. I'm like, I want you to find that freedom. And so on a very tactical level, we teach people to get out of debt by paying off your smallest debt to your largest debt regardless of the interest rate. Because again, personal finance, it's behavior change. And when you get those quick wins, you're, you see That's hope. incentive. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And a lot of people lose hope. And I'm sure some of your listeners are hearing this and it's like, you feel like that there's no way out, that like the light mm. at the end of the tunnel is a train. Like it's, it's not, yes. it's not cool. And it is, I mean, we are walking people and helping people do this. And I'm like, we're seeing it day in and day out that it works, but you have to put some things into place. You have to shift your mindset again mm-hmm. to say, okay, what is life like if I do not if I stop going into debt and I start working my way out. So we find mm. that people are getting out of debt completely in 18 to 24 months. Wow. And regardless the, of where they're starting. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's the average. And it's phenomenal because you hear different income levels, debt levels. I mean, all of it, but it is possible. And that's the great thing is I'm like, if you believe you can, mm. or you believe you can't, that's, that's your destiny, right? Like mm. that's yeah. what's going to happen. And so, um, so I'm just here to like, scream from the rooftops like anyone can. It may take you longer, but it's possible. So there's, there's that whole aspect, but I think the student loan conversation is such an important one and one that we're seeing highlighted. I feel like more and more, even just on the news and the political circuit. I mean, like it is such a mess, Jen. It It is is such a mess because we really have taught a whole generation that number one, if you get a college degree, you're automatically going to be successful. Totally. We've, we've taught them that lie that, yeah, yeah, you have to have a college degree to be, to be yeah. successful. Now, does it open up doors? Are there certain fields of study that you have to have, mm. um, you know, Sometimes. in order to, yeah. to take a career? Yes. A hundred percent. But it does not automatically mean that you are going to win in life. And no, it I think we've taken the grit kind of out of the hard work out of what it takes to really win in your career. And we've like plastered this sheet of paper and said, well, if you don't have this sheet of paper, mm-hmm. there's no hope for you. And that's just not true. It's it just isn't. not true. You know what I mean? I'm like, as a yep. parent, you don't want to helicopter parent, but you have wisdom parents, yes. like walk with them and show them and teach them how to do this well. I'm so grateful for you saying all of this because it is, as you know, countercultural to the messages that our kids are receiving. Um, and they feel locked into this path. And I've seen it in my own family um, with my own kids who um, think this, I think, is the successful way and you've got to reach on a higher rung. And frankly, it's just not true. It doesn't even pan out. And then I have my third kid who is not going to be college bound. He just isn't. And he's going to go the trade route, which is literally how he is wired. But I had him on the podcast a few weeks ago when he was just saying, you know, in even in the high schools, he said, I always feel like an outlier. And I actually feel mm-hmm. a little bit ashamed because there is no 
consideration for another path other than a four-year expensive degree. That's the way teachers teach. That is the conversation in the classrooms. It's just assumed that that Mm. is going to be what everybody strives for. And he's like, you know, generally I'm the only hand that goes up um, when anybody asks, you know, who doesn't want to go to a four-year college. And so I think this is systemic and it's going to take a lot of effort between parents and schools and systems and education. And for us to start imagining a way out of this madness for our kids, because you're right, they're making a decision at 18. And some of these kids are still going to be paying the bill at 47. That's just not okay. That's just bananas. Living a healthy life is far more than just losing weight, right? It's about developing habits that help you feel like your strongest, your most confident self. And I found a partner that guides me and cheers me on. And you've heard me talk about it. It's called Noom. Noom is not a diet. It's just this healthy and easy to stick to way of life. Noom is based in psychology. So it teaches you why you make the choices that you do, like what's under all of this. Um, Plus they arm you with all these tools to start replacing bad entrenched habits with better ones, just really one baby step at a time. Uh, My personal experience with Noom is that it's all these victories in my life that have nothing to do with the scale. That is why this is working for me. I feel so much better in my mind. I feel so much better in my body. I have more energy. I'm developing this muscle memory for confidence because I'm I'm seeing that it is possible to relearn and to begin making good choices for myself in a habitual way. So it's just a game changer for my mindset and then ultimately for my physical health. You can sign up for your absolutely free trial. So go to Noom. It's N-O-O-M. Noom.com slash for the love. So that is N-O-O-M.com slash for the love. Start making those like small manageable changes this very day. Noom.com slash for the love. Okay, guys, back to our show. Something you said earlier, I'd like to talk about for a second. Um, Obviously, money is such a big part of our lives, and it carries a lot of weight into our marriages. Um, and you mentioned, you touched on it a second ago, but how how do you suggest that we make sure we are approaching money with our partners in a really healthy and productive way, especially if we come into the marriage, not seeing eye to eye on spending or on habits, or, you know, we bring our experiences to the table as well, like the families we grew up in and how much money we did or didn't have. So how do you um, advise couples to find their way through these really important decisions? Because they sure do affect the quality of a marriage. Yes, they do. Yeah. Money fights and money problems. They're always in the top three reasons people even get divorced, right? I mean, like it is 
it is a huge tension point for people. So yeah, when it comes to any marriage, you know, I always say that opposites are going to attract. So don't mm. be surprised by that. If you're married, you're probably thinking, yes, that's so true. Mm. One of you is probably a spender. One of you is probably a saver. One mm-hmm. of you probably loves the idea of doing a budget. You heard their conversation earlier and you're like, yes, it's great. I love Excel. Like I'll get yes. everything else. Start, start my budget now. Where mm. the other one's like, oh no, please don't put me on a budget. So yeah. you're have that clash. So I just kind of want to normalize that for everyone. Like Hmm. that's going to happen. That happened to Winston and I, like that is going to happen. And so you have to get to this place though, where you can just embrace each other's differences and say, okay, everyone, everyone at the table, let's chew together as a team. Like we bring certain strengths and weaknesses because Hmm. you kind of need each other. There's just an element of like, okay, you, you don't want to be extreme on either way. Cause if you're a saver, you end up being a hoarder and doing nothing like but if yeah. you're a spender and that's all you do and there's an immaturity to it, you're going to be yeah. broke and living paycheck to paycheck all life. And I don't want I that like either. That. So mm-hmm. there is kind of this medium ground when it comes to the two um, sides of the spectrum. But naturally, you're going to lean one or the other mm-hmm. and your spouse is going to as well. And so okay. you just up front embrace the differences. Uh, number two, I'm going to go back to it, but it's true. Do a budget together. Okay. Sit down and figure out, okay, here are all the categories we spend money mm-hmm. in. Here it, here are the amounts we've spent our money in the last three months, averaged in, like, here's what it looks like. What do we want to change? And work together as a team. A huge okay. mistake I see couples make is they say, okay, well, one is good at the budget, so this, they mm-hmm. should just do it and handle the money. Yeah. The other one has no idea, and you don't talk about it for years, and then something ends up blowing up, and hmm. it's the first time you've had a money conversation. But doing a budget together forces you both to work as a team. Mm. And so to say, okay, we both have equal input. We both have strengths and weaknesses. We both have thoughts. We both have feelings. We're going to bring it all on the table, but we're going to decide it in more of a factual, less emotional manner Mm. on the budget and agree this is where our money's going. And if you really just do a budget together, it sounds so simple, but it's true. I'm like, it eliminates so many money fights and money problems because you say, this is what we're agreeing to. Yeah almost like a financial contract or something between the two of you. This is what we're doing. And what it forces is that team aspect. Because I hate when one person in the relationship is isolated Mm. with the money because the whole burden's on them, right? And it's like, man, they they have brain making all the decisions. And it's it's not that it's quote unquote not fair. It's just not a healthy way to go about it. You need Mm. someone else, part of the equation. Even if you're single out there, like have a friend, have someone you trust Mm. to even show them your budget and be like, hey, here's what I'm doing. Because if you just have other people speaking into your money overall, it's just a, it's a wiser way to go about it. So as couples, I would say that embrace those differences because you're going to feel, you're going to feel it. But, at, but when you acknowledge it, then you can come to the table and actually get some facts and numbers down and say, okay, here's our budget. Let's work together. That's so great. Uh, virtually all of us come into adulthood with habits we learn from our parents, good or bad. Um, how, how should we teach our kids to have healthy habits around money without all of our baggage? Um, like even more granular, what did your parents do with you that you plan on passing on to your littles once they, you know, are ready for these conversations? Maybe you're already doing it at their little tiny ages, but, um, how would you advise us as parents as we begin raising kids? Yeah, I would say as much as possible to, start just with kind of the environment, the emotional environment of the household when it comes to money. Um, 
And the best kind of place to be, if you will, is open communication mm. where money's talked about. It's not taboo. Mm-hmm. And I think some people grew up in a family where it's like your parents didn't talk about money, sex, or politics. It's yep. just they didn't it's go true. there. You didn't. You don't know anything. And even as an adult, it's interesting now. Some of my friends are hearing from their parents of like their parents' financial state. And they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know my parents were not in a great spot financially. They're not going to be able to retire. Like they're learning all yeah, this stuff. right. You know, and as an adult, and that's very common. And I'm like, man, mm. if you can just, not that you have to air out your dirty laundry to your kids all the time, but just the open communication mm. of just talking about money. It's not a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. And then the emotional state, it being not stressed, but mm. it being almost kind of freeing, if you will. Yep. Um you don't have to be wealthy and perfect with money in order to accomplish those two things. You can be working your way out of debt and living paycheck to paycheck mm. and sacrificing and you know doing all of it and it's and it's tough, but you can still have kind of that open, free conversation. Mm. Um, that that feeling around the household when it comes to money. So I'd say that that it's environment great. is ideal. It's hard yeah. to get there. I understand because we all grew up in different households, but yeah, that's great. But and then tactically, I'm like you. You don't have to sit down and have some kind of like stock market conversation with kids for them to win. I mean, again, it kind of goes back to the basics, but growing up, we were never given an allowance. Mm. We were always on commission. Mm. You work, you get paid. You don't Mm -hmm. work, you don't get paid. Yeah, that's a pretty simple equation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so as a kid, like we did that. I mean, we, mom and dad were not perfect. Like we tried to like have a payday every Sunday night or whatever. And Uh I mean, there were weeks that I'm sure we missed and all of that. Like it was not this perfect thing, but it was this intentionality of understanding that money comes from work. Uh, Money doesn't just come from mom and dad's back pockets. And and as an adult, I'm like, oh, it's like the best lesson to learn. I'm like, thank you, mom and dad, because yeah. you know, the real world wasn't like this whiplash to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how you make yeah. money It's you yeah. go to work. Uh, and so the working aspect is key. And then once they earn money, teaching them simply to give first, save second, spend mm. third. Oh, and I like that. walking them through that. And mm. I mean, we even had little envelopes Um as kids that, you know, we just wrote on the front, give, save, and spend. And mm-hmm. you kind of just build those three money muscles. And over time, that becomes that becomes the order of how they view money, what they do with money, and debt's mm. never a part of the equation. Yep. And so you always know, okay, you give some first. If you want something, you have to learn delayed gratification. You have to save mm. up and pay for it. And here's some money to spend, and you can learn some great lessons from some yeah. spending mistakes as well, even as a kid. Heck, that feels like that's a grown-up plan. I mean, maybe that's what you're teaching your kids. And I'm like, you know, that'll do for most of us in our grown up world. It's so true that it's powerful incentive. So as I'm listening to everything you're saying, gosh, you are a wealth of information. I keep remembering how important changing our mindset is to changing our habits. So I'm hearing you say that kind of over and over. So much of this is a battle of the mind. And then lastly, it's a battle of where the money goes. Um, mm. And so this year you released a brand new tool that's really helpful to changing our mindsets and you called it the contentment journal. Can you talk about the contentment journal and how cultivating that sense of contentment can actually change our lives? Yes. So this kind of came out of my last book, love your life, not theirs. And it was all about comparison living and how to have good money habits in a world where we just compare our lives to everyone else's. And so the antidote to comparison I found in my own life is contentment. Mm. And I was like, man, if you can just be content in your life, Mm. it's amazing how that 
just, you, you, you can't have a heart that is comparing or discontent yeah. when you're saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm really satisfied with the life that I have now. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, but okay, that's great. But how do you get there? Like, what does that look like? And so diving into understanding and unpacking, and again, it's kind of more of my journey and how I figured it out uh-huh. myself. People can probably go about it different ways, but I realized in order to be content, like the very, very first step is you have to be grateful. Yes. And when you are grateful for what you have, then again, the comparison, the discontentment stuff, like it's not even in the picture. Like you are just, you start your day with gratitude and there's studies that are shown, you know, you yes. start your day with gratitude, how all the things. And I love it because I was reading all that stuff. I'm like, yes, it is. It's yep. so true. Like, yep. Your blood pressure goes down. Yes. yes. It's really, it's really interesting. I feel like I'm hearing this message everywhere right now. Yes. It's amazing. And so I'm like, okay, so you go from gratitude and then, and then what kind of happens out of that? And then I realized, you know, humility plays a huge part in this process as well. And I love C.S. Lewis's quote on humility, where he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And it's going back to kind of that, you know, that generosity stuff we were talking about earlier, but I'm like, just to be able to like, take your eyes off your life for a second and look up and look out to other people and say, hey, how how can I make, you know, not my life that I'm putting myself down because it's not humiliation, but my life can start to be about other people and not just me, my happiness and everything I want. And you start to serve, you start to give and things start to change. And when you kind of have those two playing side by side, contentment just fits right in. Like it's so much easier to get to contentment with those two steps. And so with the contentment journal, I just take each of those subjects um, being gratitude, humility, and contentment and spend 30 days on each. So it ends up being about 90 days. And it's just these prompts that I have. And so it's, it's really short. I mean, you know, it doesn't take a long time to do it in the mornings or whenever you choose to do it, but just the power of writing things down, having that journal is huge in my story. I love I love my journals. I love looking back and seeing things that I've written down and being able to, to walk people through a process of that because contentment, it's its the heart part of money. It's kind of that emotional side of like, if this is the foundation, if you're good, then the temptation to go, whether it's deeper into debt or whether it's thinking that, you know, that school is going to define you if you go there as a student. Um, you know, it, it's so many aspects of our life when you are, when you are content and it's not complacency, like you can still be hard charging and still working hard and have goals and be content, but be able to have this peace in your heart about your life. Oh, it just, it changes, it changes the quality of your life. And so contentment is, is a huge part. It's very hard to win with money mm. when you're not content. And so, mm being able to get to that place in your story. It's, it's huge. Mm. Thank you for saying that. I, I know I'm positive and I've absolutely been there deeply more than I can ever explain, but I know that I have a lot of listeners who feel overwhelmed by money right now and a sense of despair and like, how can we ever find our way out of this? And I appreciate that so much because that is also a powerful mechanism toward change. It doesn't feel like Mm. it. It doesn't feel like it because it's, it's that feels squishy, you know, writing down what you're grateful for. This is the soft tissue of the skeleton. And yet you are right. Those are levers to pull that can change our minds and hearts, release some of the stranglehold that money has on us and move us into a place where we are able to make the important changes in our life to 
for freedom um, and yeah. for liberation. It's not small. It really isn't. And I'm really, really happy that you're leading us and your listeners toward such an important, that's really important work um, toward the end game. You know how much I love books and talking about them. I mean, have you ever just read an amazing book and wished someone else had read it too so you could talk to them about it right that second? Well, wish no more. We have a whole slew of people just like you in the Jen Hatmaker Book Club. We are having the greatest time. So here's what it is. Every single month, I feature a book that has caught my heart and my mind in some way. Uh, It's actually across all types of genres. We've got fiction and nonfiction, biographies, short stories, really anything. If I love it, you're going to hear about it. That's the rule. Um, so as a member, you get the book, you get chapter summaries, you get reading plans. As a member, you get access to our private Jen Hatmaker book club, Facebook group, um, where you can compare notes about where you laughed and cried. We do a Facebook live, um, every single month just for book club members. Um, I lead it and we sort of discuss where we're at, um, in the book. And if that wasn't enough, you also get access to this exclusive podcast where I talk to the author of the book we're reading. And this is completely separate from this podcast here. You get so much bang for your buck. You get all of this for $29 and 99 cents a month. So here's what you do. Head on over to jenhatmakerbookclub.com and sign up today so you can be a part of the next scheduled book. So it's jenhatmakerbookclub.com. Easy as that. Join us. I cannot wait to welcome you into this amazing squad. We're wrapping it up here. Um, this series is all about podcasts, which is so much fun. And so we're asking all of our guests in this series, these three questions. So just kind of off the top of your head, here's the first one. What podcast are you listening to right now? Kind of my go-to one, probably because I'm in the thick of parenting right now, Jen. I'm like, and we have no clue what we're doing. Uh, there's a, there's one called Raising Boys and Girls Uh and Sissy Goff. It's a, she's based out of a counselor here in Nashville. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, and they're so great. They're like, they're 20, 25 minutes long. It's like these little nuggets of parenting that I'm like, yes, thank you. Oh my gosh. So good. I just feel like we just like need direction in life right now when it comes to that, (laughs) to all of that. So parenting is kind of where we've dove in our time. That's probably it right now. (laughs) That's a great one. Um, while you have worked on your podcast, what is your favorite thing that you've learned so far, either about the medium or just about your content, whichever way? Every, every podcast I always try to have, which we've accomplished thus far, a real life story of someone who's mm-hmm. either in the thick of dealing with their money, maybe at the very beginning or even at the end, they've you know paid off debt and whatever it is. But I love highlighting people's stories because not only honestly as a quote unquote personality, it, it reminds me that like the work I'm doing, it's not just to like puff up mm. Rachel Cruz and mm-hmm. Rachel Cruz be famous or whatever the thing may be. It really is about helping people like that is why yeah. we work. And we say that all the time at Ramsey Solutions that we, we exist for those that are not here and having those real life stories is so fun for me. I love mm. hearing people's journeys. I love hearing 
the hope and the different backgrounds they're from, the different yeah. family dynamics they come from. I mean, all of it. You just see these real people and I'm like, they're the heroes. Like they're the mm. ones going out day in and day out and they're doing this and they're changing right. their family tree. They're showing it is possible and it's hard. It's not easy, but they are doing it. And so highlighting those stories uh, in each podcast for me, I, I love so much those interviews. I love that answer. Here's the last one. Um, this is a question that Barbara Brown Taylor posed one time, and we ask all of our guests in every series this question. And you can answer it however you want, as um, sincerely and poignantly or as silly and small. It could be whatever is real for you. Okay. But the question <laughs> is, what is saving your life right now? What is saving my life right now? Uh-huh. Oh, Jen Hatmaker, I can tell you what is saving my okay, life. tell me. <laughs> as I'm sitting here nine months pregnant. Yep. You know what I've become obsessed with? Tell me. In mostly pregnancy, reflexology. Have so you, tell me more about that. Have you have you embarked in this whole world of reflexology? Because <laughs> I have, and it is amazing. Really? Like, it basically, it's, it's basically, there's like a science behind it, apparently, that like your feet, this sounds crazy, this sounds crazy, but- that parts of your feet uh-huh. are pressure points into like other parts of your body, sure, like your sure. organs, your, all that, yeah. which I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I believe it. I yeah, don't know. I, I, I believe that more though for just the experience. It is basically the, it's like the pedicure. When you get a pedicure, they mm-hmm. do like a foot massage. Mm-hmm. It's that for like 30 minutes, an hour, however long you want. Mm-hmm. And it's half the price of anything you can imagine. Like it's so inexpensive and you feel like you just had a spa day, but you've paid like $45 for an hour long foot massage. And it is, it is one of my favorite things right now in life. Well, it sounds like heaven. It's the most amazing thing right now. So I may go do that after, after we hang out that may, I may start maternity Uh leave. Yes. Yes. If you can't start your maternity leave with a foot massage, then why bother? So, um, that feels amazing. I, um, Rachel, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I, I, I don't know if you could hear my pen scratching, but I was like taking notes while you were talking. I, I heard some really important things I needed to hear today and I'm positive that my listeners have. And I know that right this minute you are like, you are on maternity leave in the next, in three minutes from now. And so I can't tell you how much I value your time that you said yes to this here at the tail end um, of, of this season of your life. We are cheering you on to bring that baby boy into the family. Oh, I hope that you have the most beautiful delivery and he is absolutely gorgeous. Jen, thanks for having me on. I'm really, really honored to be on your podcast because I am a huge fan and love it. And just thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. The honor is mine. Grateful to have you on. Cheering you on for this next season. Thanks for all your expertise today. I just cannot wait for my listeners to hear this. They're going to go bonkers. Okay, post pictures. Plenty online so we can see that baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Bye. Okay, I hope that that was as useful to you as it was to me. I really heard some stuff today that I am so glad that I did. I'm, that made me think, um, that showed me a couple of spots in my life where I am, uh, absolutely just not intentional where I'm, whether it's because I'm lazy or because in my marriage, I just hand all this over to Brandon, which I heard her say today. That's not really fair. <laughs> that's not necessarily how grownups do this. I'm like, ugh. It's easier for me just to say, you manage it. It's not my problem. Um, I heard that today and I'm going to, that that's, that was a meaningful nugget of wisdom that I took away. And I heard some stuff that she said too about kids that I'm like, mm, 
this, this needs some attention for me. And anyway, I just, I, if you don't already know, Rachel, I hope that you are so happy to have been introduced to her. Her work is meaningful and there's so many little spots of entry for you. If you'd like to hear more. So over at jenhatmaker.com under transcript, we'll have all of this. We'll have the transcript of our conversation plus links to everything she mentioned, her, her book, her grad, her journal, her podcast, everything. Um, so that if you're like, I need some more information here, this is like a starter pack, which I love. That's one of my favorite things about this podcast is introducing you to amazing people. So this was maybe just an introduction and we'd love for you to, to explore more. So anyhow, we'll have that over at jenhatmaker.com. So grateful to Rachel for her time. Um, by the time we release this, if she has had her baby, we will post pictures over there too. Um, and so thanks for listening guys. If you haven't already subscribed, go do it wherever you listen to podcasts, do is it'll take like five seconds. And, um, we love our subscribers and that, that helps, um, us get to you easier. And thanks for sharing the podcast that you love. This is a good one to share, share this with your kids, um, share this with your college kids, your spouse. Um, this is, there's just, we packed a lot of good content into this one. And again, I think this is a good springboard for so many of us. So anyhow, you guys, thanks for being awesome listeners, Laura and Amanda and I, and our team at large are grateful for you. Happy to serve you week in and week out way more to come in the podcast series. Um, in fact, I just sent an email today and I'm like, do we have another spot in the podcast series? So you are going to want to tune in next week. I promise. Okay, guys have a good one. See you next time. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.